this morning we're going to uh, step back into 2 Samuel and actually study a larger portion of text, uh, 2 Samuel 18, 1 through 19, 8. So we're going to be looking at, uh, it's, it's one story, but sometimes it takes, you know, several verses to unpack that. And so that's what we'll be doing today. Um, if you would, as we read, we'll read through uh, different texts as we go through today rather than uh, reading up front. And so you'll just kind of work through that with us. So if you would bow with me and then we'll pray together and begin. Father, we ask that for your divine enablement to receive what you have for us today in your word. We pray for an understanding that will not just move our minds and, and capture those, um, but also our hearts and our hands as we seek to uh, live a life worthy of the calling uh, that you have placed on us, that you have given us uh, in the gospel. And uh, we thank you that we have the opportunity to read the Bible in our language and, 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 and we're able to understand and comprehend uh, these wonderful things. We pray that we would never take that for granted. And we ask for your, your, the moving of your spirit to bring these things to life to us today. In Christ's name, amen. So, should someone love their family? Well, yeah, everybody's like, well, yeah, of course, you know. Should you love your child? Well, yes. Uh, should we strive to... Um, bless them and help them do well in life and of course have you ever known a parent that maybe went too far with that is it is that even possible like to love your child too much i mean some of you may i don't know i don't you, know, you may try to think through that what does that look like um have you ever met someone that could never admit that their child was wrong it's like they would support them even if they were doing all kind. I mean, it wouldn't matter how evil the thing was that they were doing, they would still support them. Is that even love? You know, you kind of wonder, like, what, what is that, you know? Um, have you ever seen a, a, a parent that will inflate their child to such an extent that you're just like, are you kidding? Like, are you going to keep, like, doing that? Like, everyone else in the room knows you're like going overboard inflating them and you're you're the only one that seems to be blind to that reality have you ever uh i don't know if you remember this but have you ever heard stories of a parent that was so upset that their child didn't win some award or whatever that they like hurt someone else's child i mean i remember like in my early uh, years uh, i think it was right out of high school there was some woman that their, her child didn't make cheerleader and so I think she like killed this other lady's daughter who did I mean you're like is that you know what, what's up with that this is insane well I think something of what is taking place today is helping us kind of think about like where is our alignment with the kingdom how do we understand that and what are some of the dangers maybe of an idolatry that you would be like, man, could we go that far? That we would kind of wrongly uh, maybe love our children the wrong way, or you could say wrongly love something in such a way that it costs um, others dearly. That's kind of what we're looking at today, this father who would 
instead of like really seeing things as they should have been seen, he's got a messed up view of things. Now, you might say, and I've I even heard some people say stuff like, well, I just want my kid to be happy. If David would have said that to Absalom, what would that be like? You know, um, well, he wants to kill me. Okay, well, that will make him happy. So, um, you know, that's kind of, anyway. But you just kind of, again, just thinking through the situation here and considering it. Now, you almost have to sometimes like, let's just pull behind the curtain and find out why someone would do this. Why would David be in this kind of situation where it seems like nothing will cause him to address the sins of Absalom like other people have to kind of stand in there and do that, what would cause that? There, there's a couple of things, I think, that kind of come to the table. One might be pride. You want your own ego, ego inflated, and so you're trying to find it, inflate, the inflation of it through your child. That might drive you to do that. You know, The other might be guilt. Have you ever met somebody that's like, they feel so much guilt over what their child uh, has done and, and they feel the guilt because they think man I've done I did all these things leading up to that you know those are all kinds of things that you know come up but but again we're dealing with the kingdom David is under this uh, struggle he has been um, uh, struggling with the fact that God has put him under discipline and that discipline came at a price and so uh, he knows that and so I'm sure he's dealing with all kinds of troubles and yet, you know, this morning we're going to see as we look at this um, what is really taking place and try to say, how do we live in light of it? Because that's going to be difficult for some of us uh, this morning. You're trying to think, how do I really understand rightly how I might live in light of this text? So I want you to think about just real quick with David. Like I said, he's, he's dealing with guilt. He's dealing with trouble. He's dealing with divine discipline. Why? Because he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and killed Uriah. And God said, hey, you're going to face trouble as a result of that. So uh, one of the things that he faces is his son Absalom conspires against him. Uh, he works to like draw the hearts of the people against David. Uh, they kind of, uh, some of the people in Israel, the majority, make Absalom king. And then Absalom is going after his father to kill him. So that's kind of what is going on today. The big idea, if I was kind of trying to break this down uh, and try to help you think of it in light of the kingdom and what God's doing in the history of Israel and in the lives of his people, I would say something like this. Um, the Lord will protect his kingdom. That, that's, that's just a, a blanket statement. God's going to protect his kingdom. And neither divine discipline nor a son's treason, a general's disobedience, and a king's misplaced allegiance will jeopardize the kingdom. So nothing's going to like keep God from doing the work that he has promised to do. And this is a really messy chapter that makes you come away and say, even when everyone seems to be somewhat guilty with what's taking place, God's kingdom will stand. And I think that's something that we have to kind of remind ourselves of and we want to align ourselves with over and over throughout our lives. So let's begin thinking about the neither divine discipline will jeopardize the kingdom. That idea. Because there is the, there are times where you think 
God has made a promise, and then it seems like the things that He is doing are going to cost Him the kingdom, in a way. Or the promise that He made is somehow going to fail. He doesn't seem to be doing things in a way that we would do it. So, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 10-12 through 12 say this, Now therefore the sword shall not depart from your house, because you have despised me, and have taken the wife Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. So what is he saying? I am accomplishing this thing of bringing you under my discipline the lord disciplines those he loves he is disciplining david and in a way you could say as a result of like the place that david has in the kingdom to that extent the discipline comes so david took the sword against this man david committed adultery and god in turn says the sword is not departing your house and there will be people coming into your house taking your wives. So in some ways too, I think it's just important to say, when we see the divine discipline of God, there are times where you might say, well, that's not God doing that. That is whoever doing it. So in this story you could say, it's Absalom. Like Absalom is rebelling against his father. That's what's going on here. But in light of the context, you would say, no, it's God. Or you would say, yes, God is disciplining David. And yes, Absalom is coming against him. And so in this picture, we would say both are true. God is in control of bringing, exercising the discipline in the life of this man, this king, David. And yet at the same time, there is a man involved at the heart of it that is coming against him. But God's discipline has limits in that he is not going to undermine the kingdom that he promised. And sometimes I think that <clears throat> for us in the moment, that's what we need to see. We have to understand that truth to be a reality. Now, the second aspect of this, <clears throat> we're going to look at three human characters. One, a son's treason. 2 Samuel 15, verses 13 and 14. In verse 13, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. What is that telling you? Absalom has been building this case against his father. And so now Absalom has drawn their hearts away in verse 14. Arise and let us flee or else there will be no escape, escape David says, for us from Absalom. So we're starting with this, thinking about it. We say that God's divine discipline will not undermine the kingdom that he's promised to build. 
but that is still a reality. God disciplines his people. And secondly, these human characters within this story who are seeking to undermine God's kingdom, they're not going to be able to do this. So Absalom has sought to do it. He has sought to overtake the kingdom to destroy uh, his father, and he has plans to do so. Verse 7 and 8 of chapter 18 say, just so you can see it, you're moving through it with me, and the men of Israel, that is those aligned with Absalom, were defeated there by the servants of David, and the loss there was great on that day, 20,000 men. So, again, you're putting this together in your mind, you're thinking about kind of, how God works in this world, we are saying His promise for His kingdom stands. But those who are in His kingdom sometimes fall under His divine discipline. It will not thwart His plan. And not only that, not only is divine discipline on display, but individuals exercising that, accomplishing that, coming against that, warring against the kingdom and his promises in it, and yet they do not stand. So Absalom fails. The second person you see is a general, and he is disobedient, but he's not going to jeopardize the kingdom. So, 18 verses 10 through 13, we know that David has asked that his son Absalom be preserved. David's greatest concern in this chapter is for his son David will sacrifice everything for his son David is living in a foolish way and yet in the midst of this we see this general who is disobedient to the king he's not going to listen to him in verse 10 there was this man again we said Absalom was clearly defeated in verse 10, this man, one of the soldiers under David's army, saw Absalom hanging in a tree. And he says to Joab, one of David's generals, Behold, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak. Joab said to the man who told him this, <clears throat> What, you saw him? Why then did you not strike him there to the ground? David had said, please take care of my son. Please watch out for my son. My son's more important to me than everything. Watch out for him. Even though my son has a sword in his hand and he wants to drive it through my heart, watch out for him. Joab disobeys David. Joab hears what has taken place. He asks the man, why did you not finish off Absalom? He moves on. The man says, listen, the king would have found out and taken me out. It doesn't matter how much honor I would get from you, Joab. I couldn't do that. In verse 14, Joab said, I'm not going to waste any more time with you. And he took three javelins in his hand and thrust them into the heart of Absalom. He killed him. He went against a direct command from the king. 
And then wasting no time after that, verse 16 through 18, he blows a trumpet and stops the war. Again, Absalom's people, Israel, by thousands upon thousands, have come against to kill David. And Joab, in, under the leadership of Joab and other generals, they strike down Israel. Joab stops the war, and all is done you know, as well. It, it's, uh, in a way, it's like his disobedience here was wise. There was a certain level of, like you say, Joab's the only one among the leadership, in this sense, between him and David, that's thinking clearly. <clears throat> Verse 16 through 18. Once he does this, <clears throat> then not only does Joab like stick him in the heart, like Joab's men around him cut Absalom down, so you can imagine. And then they heap stones up over the body of Absalom. <clears throat> it's one of those things in this story. When you're thinking about it, they pile up these stones, and it's a picture of him coming under a curse. He is not only stabbed to death, he is stoned. These piles of stones go up over this man. It is a reminder of he wanted so desperately to be exalted, and he is in the place of great... Um, you know, people would look at him and look at that mound for centuries to come, probably, and see and understand what had taken place there. So, Absalom's not going to stop the kingdom. This general's disobedience, which, again, we would say might be wise, is not going to thwart God's plan. I mean, that's just kind of a picture I think we need to see. Then we said, nor a king's misplaced allegiance will jeopardize the kingdom. <clears throat> Verses 2 through 4. And the king said to his men, I will not go out with you. But the, I mean, sorry, I will go out with you. But the men said, don't go out. For if we flee, they will not care about us. If half of us die, they will not care about us. But you are worth 10,000 of us. So verse 4, the king said, whatever seems best to you, I will do. So David then stands at the gate and watches these people go out, hundreds, thousands of them. They are walking out to fight on his behalf. What value do they place on his life? Like, if you're stopping, think, like, <clears throat> what value? How much do they care about him? What would they lay down for him? Are they thinking about, <clears throat> sorry, I've had a little bit of, like, allergy stuff. Okay, so whatever um, is going on here, you have to think about this. They value the kingdom, the crown, and the man who wears it. They are honoring the Lord's anointed. They are standing up and fighting for the kingdom. They are defending what is right and good. They, I mean, really, as David watched them, 
and their massive support and their desire for the good things to happen in the kingdom, their desire to ensure that, his heart should be warmed, but his mind is only on one thing. Verse 5, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. Again, who has threatened to undermine the very thing that God had established for not only Israel, but for the nations. And David is sitting there, and his, he has aligned himself with his child above everything else. He would put his child above God and his kingdom and God's people. It's a scary kind of frightening place. You say, that's a natural thing to do. But he was called to do supernatural things. He was called to align himself with a kingdom that would never, ever, ever be destroyed. He had, he had something to do that was higher. And yet he puts his child above everything. At the sake of every, for the sake of everyone else, he can't see anybody else. He can only see this one, this son, and the son's got a dagger ready to, stra- to, to stab it into his heart. So it's a shocking kind of reality. <clears throat> we are seeing, and the culture is changing dramatically, but you, I think you will watch and see as Parents watch children reject Christ and His kingdom. We will see people begin to align themselves with their children rather than align themselves with God. I mean, that's a scary thing or scary place to be. And that's just something that we're seeing. I have friends right now in their families. There are wars going on over like kingdom issues. And the deal is, is when someone rejects the ways of the kingdom, then there's this faction in the family, this brokenness in the family, and you're saying, listen, family, physical, flesh, family, does not trump Christ. You know, it doesn't trump the kingdom. This story is about allegiance to the king and his kingdom and how broken, sinful people can... Like in their sin, like there's so much brokenness and destruction. But what you see here is David's men had the heart that he should have had. They will lay their lives down for what is right and good and true. David's heart for his son is not wrong but not at the expense of God and His kingdom and His ways. Now, verses 19 through 33. David is going to get the news. It starts out, and Joab, knowing that he has just killed Absalom, knowing the war is stopped, he knows that David needs to hear the news. The king needs to hear the news. He stops one of his own men and says, like, you don't want to run there today. He knows where David's strongest allegiance lies. And so he's going to send another. 
And he sends the other man to run. And then, again, one of David's soldiers says, I want to run to him and share the news. Well, as he runs, he, he beats the other guy. And when he gets to David, in verse 28, Ahimaaz cried out to the king, All is well. And he bowed before the king with his face to the earth and said, Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against my Lord, the king. The king, not thinking about the kingdom, not thinking about what God has directed him towards, asked immediately about his son. And Ahimaaz says, there was a commotion. And like, is quiet, you know, which would be, you know, yeah, you just, it's one of those things where like, no answer kind of tells you what happened, but you know, it's like, you don't really want, you know, to do that, maybe. So the second round, this other man shows up who has also been running this Cushite, and he says, verse 31, good news for my Lord, the king. For the Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all who rose up against you. The king said to the Cushite, it is, well, is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up against you for evil be like that young man. Of course, David He's, he begins to cry out. He weeps and he says, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I have died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. So again, God has delivered the kingdom from total ruin. The soldiers have been victorious and the kingdom has been saved. But David's response is that he wished that he would die instead of his son, his rebel son, his son who's standing against God in his ways, his son who has turned his back on what is true and right and good. David's mourning, we can understand, over his son. But the reality is, he's not seeing what was really at stake. It's just hard sometimes to see that all of us need to be reminded of that. So you say, man, this is really gut-wrenching. It's, it's really close to someone's heart. Like you can't, but it, but it is something that Jesus talked about, and we'll get to that to the end. So I just want us to see that. Now, could it be, though, that there's more going on in David's heart? Remember what I said? Sometimes if you could pull back the curtain to somebody's heart and you were to say to yourself, why is it that their children or their child, like Absalom, is at the center of everything in their life? Why is that? We said one, it could be pride, and the other could be guilt. I think with David, he knows. He knows that the reason that all of this trouble has come upon him, the reason that he had heard these words, the sword shall not depart from your house, the reason that he had heard those things was because of his own sin. So David is not only dealing with the loss of his child, he is also dealing with the loss of his child, feeling like 
rightly so, I had something to do with this. I was a part of this. Now, David is in this horrible state, and Joab, watching David, like with misplaced priorities, you could say, I mean, it might be a too hard of a way to say it, or you could say, like I would think about it, misplaced allegiance. He sees what's going on, and Joab has something to say. You know, some men that have some level of authority in the world, they get these people around them that never speak honestly, that they don't speak into their lives. They almost get like, uh, you'll read about those kings, different kings, and you'll think like, <clears throat> I mean, I don't know, even in the Bible, there'll be times where, where they'll gather around all their so-called wise people, and they'll just say something like, may the Lord live forever. You're the greatest. They're like, puffing up their egos. Like, they don't care about them. They care about themselves, and so they care about the king kind of thing, right? But here, Joab is an honest man. Now, Joab's not always right. We've, I mean, we have seen. He's not always right. But he is honest, and he goes to the king and he says, he finds out that the people are kind of mourning over like because the king is mourning and he's just sitting over there, you know, crying out and he's just totally like made everybody really feel bad for what they had done, which was what the right thing to go into battle and rescue the kingdom. Verse four. <clears throat> oh, sorry, verse five. Then Joab came into the house of the king and said, you have today covered with shame the faces of all your servants who have this day saved your life and the life of your sons and your daughters and the lives of your wives and your concubines <clears throat> because you love those who hate you and hate those who love you. For you have made it clear today that the commanders and servants are nothing to you. For today I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead, you would be pleased. Now therefore arise, go out, and speak kindly to your servants, for I swear by the Lord, if you do not go, not a man will stay with you this night. And this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. You like honest people in your life? someone that would speak truth to you. Then the king arose, took his seat in the gate, and the people were all told, Behold, the king is sitting at the gate. And all the people came before the king. Now Israel had fled every man to his own house. So what basically Joab says, doesn't, I don't need to add that much to it. Joab says, These people have laid down their lives for you. They have cared about what you should care about. And you have cared about, too much cared about, the thing that you should not most care about. And he turned that to him, and the king did what he should have done in the first place. And so, the kingdom stands. Divine discipline and human rebellion, or whatever you, you, know, you would want to lay that out as, has not prevailed over the kingdom. The truth is, in verse 31 and 32, of chapter 18 
the Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all those who are against you. And may the enemies of the Lord, the king and all who rise up against you for evil be like the young man Absalom. That is the truth. That's the thing that should have happened. But I just think it's important for us just to stop and say today. Is our allegiance with the kingdom? I mean, there are going to come days in your life where there is a divide. You, you are going to have these moments in your life and you're making decisions along the way to kind of align yourself with the kingdom, but there's going to be moments where you're going to stand between those two things. Will I stand with Christ? Will I stand with Him in the hard moments, in the difficult moments? Will I seek first His kingdom? You say, well, yeah, no, but I carry some of the guilt. I carry some of the shame. I carry some of like I'm, I'm all the things I built my life on were going to come crumbling down. At the end of the day, when you look at your life, you say allegiance to the kingdom is the top priority every time. Jesus said to his disciples, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The road is to align ourselves totally with the kingdom of Christ. We are to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. You know, as Absalom was suspended between heaven and earth, and you've wondered what would be his fate, so with us. When we think about our lives, you say, when I'm suspended between these earthly kind of callings, which are good, and the calling to follow Christ wholeheartedly and completely, which is greater what will we choose? Now you say, Jared, how many times have I chosen wrong? I would say, and how many times have I? But the reality is today, today, you're call, we're calling out to you and saying, listen, align yourself with the kingdom of God. Follow Him. Repent of your previous like abandonments of Him. Repent of your misapplied allegiances and align yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. And know that following Him will not be easy, but you will know that to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant, is the highest and most holiest of things that you could ever want to hear. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We ask You to help us see that Your kingdom is not of this world, that our allegiance to your kingdom and what is in the principles behind it 
are the most important things. We pray that we would never exalt something above you, something above what you would be pleased with, that we would never align ourselves with the wrong things, that we would align ourselves with you, that we would put you first above all else. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.